Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host, Gypsy. And today we have Maxwell Ivy, also known as the Blind Blogger. He is an inspirational and motivational personal coach who also runs a business brokering carnival rides and amusement equipment. He is also a self-help author, motivational speaker, online media publicist and host of What's Your Excuse podcast and founder of What's Your Excuse Network. Great to have you here, Maxwell. Well, it's nice to be here, Gypsy, and um, I appreciate the the, uh, great introduction and looking forward to having really good conversation with both y'all. It's a pleasure having you here. Uh, So, I guess we can start with telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do um, with the network and the podcast as well. Sure. Uh, I am a totally blind gentleman who grew up in a family of carnival owners. And all I ever really wanted to do was to be part of the business and help run the carnival. Uh, I also knew that I was going to lose most, if not all, of my vision to retinitis pigmentosa. And I knew that at a fairly early age. But in spite of vision loss, which started pretty uh, heavily when I was in junior high school, I graduated from traditional high school, graduated from traditional college, and I'm one of the few blind Eagle Scouts. And I was lucky enough to work alongside my dad and my brothers in our family carnival for 15 years or more before his death resulted in the closure of our show. And then once that was over, I knew I needed to find something else to do. So the only thing I felt like I really knew anything about was selling the carnival rides because I had had to do it for my family. And so I started a website called the Midway Marketplace where I help people buy, sell and trade uh, amusement rides, carnival equipment, mostly used, but some new. And as a result of that, I had to learn so many new things. I had to teach myself how to hand code HTML. I had to learn how to recruit clients and set fees and write copy and manage media and so many other things along the way. And people eventually said, you know, Max, we appreciate how you take on these difficult challenges with joy and you just seem to find some way to make it all work out for you. We'd like to hear more of what what it's like to be an entrepreneur to have to buy it. So I I fought that for a couple of years. Then I finally realized that there was power. There was inspiration in my story. So I started the blindblogger.net where I've written four self-help books and won some awards. I've traveled the country solo, I've spoken at national conferences, sung in public, and along the way I started my own podcast called What's Your Excuse? Uh, I've also done hundreds of podcast interviews, I've helped people prepare prepare to be great podcast guests, and just the last few months we started the WYE Network, which is designed to help other podcasters with a disability. So that's kind of a longer version than most people would hope for. And I still need to ask a question about the purpose of the podcast and the network a little more. Yeah. What inspired you to get into podcasting? Because you're not just a host. You also have your own network and you help other people prepare. Right. Well, it, it started when I was working to promote the Midway Marketplace. And I live out in the suburbs, so mass transit was not an option. I didn't have a good way to meet people face to face to network with them. And as y'all probably both know, the best way to build a business is referrals, connections, relationships. And I knew there had to be a way that didn't involve me getting in a car or a bus or a plane. And I just kept uh, looking for it. Finally, I realized that uh, there was this thing called blog talk radio. And there was a host named Brian Hammer Jackson who wanted to interview people about their small businesses. So I reached out, said he should have me, he agreed. Uh, I went on his show a couple of times, and that led to me doing his show every Friday morning for about six months. And after I did those, you know, had those conversations with him on Friday and, you know, shared what was going on in my life, I kind of got hooked on being a podcast guest. And then I continued to do interviews as for the Midway Marketplace and for the Blind Blogger, and hosts started going, Max, when are you going to start your own podcast? And I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't doing my own podcast. That ain't happening. <laughs> And we all should have known better because I'm one of those people who will talk about not doing it, but then usually end up doing it anyway. So uh, I finally came up with what I thought was a good excuse. I said, hey, 
I will start my own podcast when I find somebody to take care of the technical stuff. So all I have to do is show up and talk. And that was a mistake because a guy named Frederick By from Canada shows up and he goes, hey, Max, I heard you're looking for a podcast producer. When do we start? And so the next thing I know, I've got a podcast with uh, Frederick By. Um, we're working together every week. And eventually he weaned me off of it to where I do the podcast or started doing the podcast strictly by myself, uh, interviewing guests and also recording my own thoughts. Uh, so after a while of having my own podcast and continuing to, to do interviews, because one of the most fun ways I have of promoting myself or whatever it is I'm working on is to sit down with, you know, people like you and have great conversations. So I kept doing the podcast interviews. Uh, I had my podcast. Uh, it wasn't originally called What's Your Excuse, but eventually it found its real name. So I'm doing the podcast interviews. I'm hosting my podcast. And a year or so ago, I'm wanting to apply for a grant program that gives money to people with uh, vision loss to take on a difficult challenge. And I was stumped for an idea. And my good friend, Alex Sanfilippo, who works to founded Podmatch, a website that matches hosts and guests that want to get together and do conversations or interviews, whatever you want to call them. Uh, he said, Max, you have all the skills it takes to help other people start podcasts. And he said, I think that if you built a community around podcasting for and about people with disabilities, you could do a lot of good. And I said, I said, okay, you're crazy, but tell me more. And he said, well, he said, well, you've been a host, you've been a guest, you book guests, you train guests. Uh, he said, the, the um, he said, so you've got all the technical skills. He said, you, he, he said, but the most important thing he would bring to people is you have this uh, unquenchable positive attitude. He said, you can find, you can find bright spots in, a, in an eclipse, you know, um, just, he said, he said, beyond that, he said, you have this just uh, intuitive ability to find creative solutions that other people wouldn't think of and then actually follow through and implement them. So he finally convinced me we started the, the WYE or What's Your Excuse Network uh, January of last year. So far, it has one brand new podcast a show called Shredding for Gold, which is hosted by Emily Trepanier, a blind snowboarder from Canada who's uh, following her dream to win a Paralympic gold medal in downhill snowboard racing, which makes her the craziest person I know. <laughs> and that's saying something because most people think I'm nuts. So that's, that's where it's all came from. It's just a continual, you know, kind of following the river where it goes next and a combining of the skills and experiences and the mistakes that I've made over the years to get to this point. So now my introduction gets longer. My number of nicknames gets longer. But really, I'm just trying, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find something that combines two very important things. One, my desire to help others. And two, my desire to, to eat and pay my rent on a regular basis. <laughs> so I, I'm hoping the network, you know, that as we grow the network, we're going to start to get some sponsors, investors, donors, or uh, we're going to start generating some affiliate sales income or some merchandise sales I'm hopeful that eventually this network is going to be my one and only thing. Finally, after 14 years online, after being an equipment broker, an author, a speaker, a traveler, a singer, and who knows what else is all in there. I'm really hoping that, that the podcast network is going to be the thing. And uh, so far, I've been blessed to have some great conversations with people who want to start podcasts. I have helped one person launch. We have two or three more that are in the pipeline that I was sincerely hoping I'd be able to tell you about today, but there's still another week or two off. But, you know, it's, it's fun. It's challenging. It's going to help others. And I believe eventually it's going to be the one thing I do that blocks out everything else and rewards me well financially. That's great. Um, is there a, a certain types of shows you focus on for your networks? Well, we haven't really gotten that far yet, but it seems that the shows that I've that I've brought on, we have we have what we call internal shows and external shows. And internal shows are mine and, and Emily's, which were built from the ground up as part of the network. And external are shows that are that were already in existence, but have decided to add their shows to the network and have them syndicated on the platform. So 
so far the shows seem to be about people who are overcoming adversity and wanting to share their experiences and what they've learned, uh, wanting to share technology, technological information for people dealing with adaptive equipment, uh, people wanting to share information with employers or aspiring employees on uh, making workplaces more accessible. Uh, I think that we're looking at people with a disability, but we're also looking at uh, friends or family members, coworkers, nonprofit organizations and government entities that want to support people with disabilities or are already supporting people with disabilities and they want to draw attention to their work. Okay. You mentioned, um, but, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go oh. ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I heard you mention, um, accessibility and and technology and that was one of the things i think i mentioned to you um i do at work uh i make sure one of the skills that i have is making sure um, websites and applications are you know accessible to people like yourself and um, hearing impaired and different um different impairments um it just help access some of the tools and websites a little bit better for screen readers and things like that. Uh, I know you, you you have to utilize a lot of those um, technologies to do what you do, whether you're writing a book or creating your blog and things like that. How, what is your perspective, I guess, as a user of a lot of these technologies? Do you feel like accessibility overall is getting better? Or what's your overall perspective on that? I think that in one sense, it has gotten better because we're seeing more companies that have a sincere will to make their products and services more accessible. They're just not uncertain or, or able to make that happen. Uh, but we're also, things have gotten worse in that there are a lot of companies who have gotten online, especially during COVID because they had to get online that really just haven't had the what they call bandwidth to give consideration to making their websites or their products accessible. So it's a it's a little bit of both. And I have to admit, if if I'm being honest, and I like to I like to be honest in all things, one of the problems with accessibility is is that the company owner has no way of knowing what type of disability their customer is going to have or what type of technology they're going to use to access it. So let's just look at vision loss and websites. Just bring it, you know, let's just eliminate everybody else. Let's just think about that for one minute and consider this. When you go into the internet, you're generally either using a desktop or mobile device. Well, with blind people, if it, with desktops or laptops, Microsoft uses a program called JAWS for Windows or NVDA. Mac uses a program called VoiceOver. The Windows product is a third-party application that's added on afterwards. The VoiceOver for Mac is a product that's developed right alongside the rest of the operating system and is integrated. Uh, for people using mobile devices, trust me, the same app does not perform the same way on an iPhone that it does on an iPad even. And if you consider different generations of iPhones or iPads, they, that can also play a part in it because frankly, a lot of the people in the disability community do have problems with uh, budgetary issues, so they quite often tend to use equipment long past when a sighted person would use it. So, I mean, it's it's difficult because it's really hard to know what, and, and of course, that's just with screen readers. In addition to screen readers, what if the person is using Zoom tech or just the, the uh, Zoom feature on an iPhone or an iPad? You know, how do you anticipate that? I think that's one of the real problems and it makes it difficult for smaller companies uh, because you just, you it's hard to anticipate who's gonna be using the platform, how they're gonna use it, what technology they're going to visit with. And you have to anticipate and expect and plan for all of that stuff. So uh, I wish that people were doing more, but on, on the other hand, I, I realize that it's difficult. Yeah, from a development standpoint, basically what we do is like we use um, JAWS and NVIDIA and basically um, and other tools that can help us basically figure out what um, 
some red flags that a uh, screen reader might pick up and things like that. So we do um, test it for all of these things using the tools. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, it wouldn't necessarily be something a small company would do because some of these testing tools are very expensive um, and it doesn't actually cover everything, uh, all all the bases. So it's, it's difficult, right. but and from, there, yeah, go ahead. And there was one important point I left out. With people who have vision loss or any other disability, even if they have the same degree of disability and the same technology, they're not going to use it the same way. So for small companies, even if they can afford the technology, they probably can't afford to have a community of users that can give them actual real world responses on how it's performing across their different levels of, of skill with their devices. Yeah. Personally, what's your favorite tools, um, screen readers to use? I prefer the, the Mac program, but that's, that's probably as much because I've been using a Mac so long as it is that I'm, I'm happy with the screen reader. I mean, it's if you take somebody who's been a Windows user for 15 years and tell them they have to use a Mac, even if the screen readers used exactly the same keyboard macros, you know, the same keyboard commands on both machines did the same thing, they would still struggle because the, the operating systems perform things differently. So I am a fan of, uh, of Mac, but that's because I've been using a Mac. There's I have recently acquired a Windows computer because I want to grow my business, and that means doing more business with established companies. And generally, those established companies prefer that you use the Microsoft products. And from what I've heard from my friends who are visually impaired, the Microsoft products behave better on a Microsoft computer than they do when you run them on an Apple. Okay. So, yeah, I, 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 I love the one thing I do love about Mac that Windows and uh, that Windows can't do anything about is if something goes wrong with my Windows computer, there's potentially three different people who could be responsible for the issue. If something goes wrong with my Mac computer, there's only one person that could be responsible for the issue. So knowing that, you know, I know who to blame and can just call that accessibility technical support number that Apple has, that's a big deal. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, you've written several books. Can you tell us a little bit about that and um, even your writing process? How do you write the books? Well, I do it differently. Uh, I realized from the uh, very early time that I started writing my first book that I'm a good storyteller, but I'm a lousy editor. So while there are some blind people who will write their books and do the entire self-publishing process on their own. I'm not one of those. So I create the book using a text document. I just write until I'm through telling the story and then I send it off to my editor. Uh, I've been working with Lorraine regularly at wordingwell.com ever since my first book. Uh, she actually reached out to me and volunteered to fix some problems with my website that where it was hiding my blog posts behind the images in those blog posts. And we got to be friends. And then later when I was ready to publish my first book, she was there. So she's been part of all four of them. And like I say, I just write and then she cleans it up and, you know, she curses and swears about me a lot. She doesn't yell at me, but <laughs> I've heard, I've heard from her friends that she complains a lot about me because, you know, I just, I just tell the story. I put it down on paper. I do what the experts tell you to do. Every expert I've ever heard speak on the topic says, just write it. Don't think about it. Don't edit it. Don't try to edit it. Don't uh, don't pause long enough to even correct your spelling errors. I mean, I turn the spell, the spell check thing off when I'm writing because that's just what I want to do. I want to get in the flow. I want to put it all down on the electronic piece of paper and send it off and let somebody else fix it. That's how I do it. Yeah. That's kind of how I would probably wish I could do it as well, as far as I prefer to do it. I, w um, I haven't done a book yet, but I've been having the idea of s wanting to sit down and re record the audio of the things that I want to do and then kind of transfer them into a book form like that. That's, that's the, that's the perfect way to do it. If you're able to do that. I've, I've never 
I'm comfortable enough with my voice to record myself for my podcast or for singing, but I'm not comfortable enough with my voice to just record myself saying out loud what I want to end up in the next book. But there are a lot of uh, coaches that are doing really well with people teaching them how to speak their book, I think is the phrase. And if you're comfortable enough with your voice and what you have to say to record it all out loud, that is the easy way to do it, man. That is the way. And I would even encourage you to, to make sure you've got one of those uh, audio note tape taking apps on your on your phone so you can record it in short bursts when it happens. Because I found with myself, uh, when I write in the moment or shortly after the moment something has happened, I'm much more honest. And that comes across as more enjoyable to the reader. So you're definitely got the right idea. I would definitely speak my book if I could. I just can't get past that brain block that requires me to put my hands on a keyboard. Okay. For me, um, I would like to ask more, at least go back a little bit and kind of ask about, you mentioned that you um, lost your vision as in high school, around high school. Um, could you talk about the, um, the things as far as at least, cause for me personally, I haven't had a lot of personal conversations with, um, someone that didn't have their vision. So to have you here, I'd like to take advantage and ask some of the, the challenges and what are some of the things when, when you were going, when you were losing your vision and having to learn how to live life without your vision, what are some of the, the mental and psychological things that you, that you had to grow? Okay. Well, my, as my experiences are a lot different than other people's, but as far as, exposing you to more people who have lived with vision loss. I can tell, I can help you out with that. I can make some introductions if, <laughs> if you want me to. So, um, but I, uh, I had perfect vision until I was about four and then I started losing it gradually. Uh, just recently I was talking with somebody and I rem and one of the symptoms of retinitis pigmentosa, which is what I have is that you will tend to have your, your, your vision doesn't recover as well when going from light to dark or dark to light and i it re i got to talking about it and it reminded me that um, when i was six my mom and dad took us to disneyland and i it was one of the worst days of my life and i never really wanted to go back but recently i started thinking about it well max you know you didn't know it at the time but you were on all these rides and attractions where every single one of them goes in and out of dark places. You got no idea what you're doing or where you're going or what's going to happen next. And you can't see because your vision can't adjust to the light conditions. So uh, that's my, one of my memories that's gotten better now that I'm older and can understand. It. So five or six, my vision started to decrease gradually. It's uh, continued to go go down a little at a time and I had a, a big drop off in vision. Uh, a large decrease in vision during puberty is pretty common for men that have it or RP to the point where I had to start learning how to uh, use a white cane and travel independently, read braille. That was when I finally converted from large print or using a computer monitor to audio books or books on on record and so that was when a lot of that uh took place and you know my family i grew up in a family of carnival owners and in general we're people who do things we we're not a people a lot of time to think about what we don't have or to complain uh, about it we generally just do something about it and you know it goes back to the way we made our living as a family because in the carnival business, nobody cares what happened to you on Monday or Tuesday. All they want to know is on Friday, can they buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel? You know, that's so you you get you you, you know you grow up with a mindset of resilience, of finding creative solutions, and really of just finding a way. So it's a very positive group of people to be around in school and in my scout troop. I was also encouraged by people that. Uh, didn't have to let my vision loss uh, dissuade me from wanting to accomplish uh, big things in my life. And, you know, I went off to college. I had intended to go to law school, but none of the law schools thought I would make a good candidate based on, based on my LSAT scores. 
And uh, so I, I went to the work for the hour for a while. I ended up back in the family car for a while. And, you know, about 15 years, actually. <clears throat> the th thing is that I, that I think is kind of interesting is that for most of my adult life, even with the vision loss, my goal was always the same, to be part of the karma business. But it was only after I accepted that I was no longer going to be world that I really realized what all I was capable of. I mean, the la I, I, sometimes, I sometimes complain about the fact that I've been online, I've been in business for 14 years now, and I've yet to quote, make it, you know, to the point where you feel really successful about what you're doing. But at the same time, 14 years ago, when I filed for a main name, that was a big deal. You know, that wasn't even building the website. That was just send the money off to, to pick, to pick out a name. So in the last, you know, 14 years, since I gave up the idea that I was part of the carnival world, I have tried so many things. I've succeeded at a lot of them. I've failed at a lot of them. Uh, I've learned from, from most of them. I will admit there are some mistakes that I, that I'll probably make again next year, <laughs> but you know, the, I think a lot of it really just has to do with the way I was raised. I was lucky enough to go to a school in an affluent district, even though my family wasn't affluent, I was lucky enough to be around teachers, scoutmasters, uh, other students, family members, grandparents, lots of people who were encouraging and positive. And, you know, the worst thing you could ever say to my grandmother is, I'm bored, I don't have anything to do, there's nothing, because that would get you work. Mm. <laughs> You would you would be weeding you would be weeding her front bored. yard counting change or, or I'm sorry did you lose me? It it's um flashing a little bit but no I was just saying when you said I'm bored it is automatically set you up for some work or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> it's similar to my mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we would find ourselves wrapping nasty dirty dirty change or tearing up the used ride tickets or uh, washing the mud off of canvas. It was never anything fun to do when you complain about anything you could do. Yeah. We're experiencing a little bit of internet connection um, difficulty. Well, or, but it's, it's, it's fine. It's still flowing. Yeah. It's just, um, I don't know. I think it may be our internet a little bit, but it's still, it's still flowing. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the advantages and the disadvantages of of being a podcast host who can't see is I generally have to turn those notifications off so that I can concentrate on the person I'm speaking to. So quite often I would find out that I'm having tr trouble with my with my Internet levels when I get cut off and then have to get back to that person and then have to edit that podcast to get rid of that gap of dead recording air. <laughs> yeah, we. We kind of just work through it as far as as long as it doesn't completely cut off, then, you know, a lot of our listeners understand that we're doing a Zoom and, and it, it basically works out as natural as possible. So we just keep the conversation going. Yeah. Look, I love what you just said there. Our listeners understand that we're using Zoom. Um, one of the things I one of the best decisions I ever made when I started my podcast was I was like, OK, Max, you don't enjoy editing. You're not good at it. It takes you a long time to do it. So who says Max has to edit? And I just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to say that my podcast is recorded live, you know, kind of like the TV shows from the fifties and the sixties. And I felt like as long as I, for the most part, as long as I put out good content, people would overlook the fact that the video wasn't the best or that the audio sometimes wasn't the best, or that sometimes I went on longer than I should have. And I've been proven right. And it sounds to me like you guys have been proven right as well. And I wanted to make that point because so many people talk themselves out of things because they're worried about meeting the standards of other people. They're worried about that old perfectionism thing instead of just finding a, a, a level where they can say, hey, it's good enough. I'm going to give people the opportunity to enjoy my content. I'm going to give people the opportunity to fall in love with me which they'll never get if I sit, if, if this stuff sits on my laptop and never gets shared. Yeah. And show them that can, 
you know, the improvement as you go on. Because, you know, we're not going to wait until we're perfect. We feel like we're perfect because that's never going to be. So, you know, that's why we, yes. our motto is consistent self-improvement, basically. So, you know, you can never Yeah, fail. so your so your motto, your motto works great with your branding and what you offer people just like mine does. You know, the whole yeah. what's your excuse thing. Um, yes. Yep. And, and you made, you made a good point as well, Gypsy, that uh, let people see your progress. Yep. I mean, you know, you're not going to be as bad day, you know, the 15th week as you were the first week. And the people that you give the opportunity to see you progress are just going to respect you all the more because most of them are sitting at home thinking, you know, I'd like to do that, but I'm never going to do that. And wow, look how much pro progress it, uh, that uh, Classic and Gypsy have made since they started, you know? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times the journey doesn't get highlighted. So people always feel like, uh, you know, those who've quote unquote made it, you know, were overnight success. And a lot of times it was like <laughs> 15, 20 years of yeah. uh, grinding that got to that point. So, it, you know, showing them yeah. the journey and the improvement, you know, helps people that are going through it not feel like, OK, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to keep trying and keep going. Yes. Yes, that is so true. And uh, the one other thing that I've really been encouraged by is the is watching the pro professionals, watching those people who are used to having hundreds of people on their staff and millions of dollars of equipment at their disposal, watching them just screw it up big time because they're having <laughs> to do this stuff from home like the rest of us. Yep. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, podcast? What do you listen to? Of course, yours would be you know, your personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, look, I, I just found out about you guys, but I've got so much in common with you as far as the way y'all look at the world of what you're, what you're trying to do. I will Y'all are definitely going to be on the top of my list going forward. Appreciate uh, Oh, yeah, because, see, that's the thing. I generally gravitate, gravitate sorry, Sylvester, uh, I tend to gravitate towards shows that are hosted by people I like and respect. So I start with the host and go to their show. And very rarely do I just find a show and then go backwards and, and, and learn about the host. So uh, a couple of, of mine that I'm uh, obviously a fan of is uh, I love what it used to be called creating a brand, but now it's called Pod, Pod, uh, Pod Pros by San Filippo because you know, he's, he's known me for years and he's like a real fan of my work. And he's also the guy who gave me the short name for coming up with the name, with the word interdependence for one of the themes I speak about. So, he, so his podcast is, I like it. Um, Dave, David Rafe of Join Up Dots over in the UK gave me one of the best introductions uh, that I ever had. And as a result, we had a great conversation. Um, uh, what is his name? Mark Mawinney, who hosts uh, the Coaches Network. Uh, he had me on his podcast really early in my process, and I, I've gotten to interview him a couple of times. So uh, I love what he does with his Facebook group for uh, for coaches and what he does with his show he's he's a very honest person in, in the information he shares so so his podcast would be another one i'm a, a real fan of uh, i i don't tend to be fan a fan of the you know the the, the more well-known shows i mean uh i think it was you gypsy who said something about y'all's show being conversational similar to like joe rogan and i'm thinking I've heard Joe Rogan and, and he's never going to be one of my favorite podcasters. So <laughs> no, it's just a lot of people know him. So it's just easier to use him as an example. But personally, one of my favorite podcasts is um, like uh, impact theory by Tom Bilyeu, um or like armchair experts, but that's about the only popular one that I, you know, listen to. And, and that's a good thing because it means that you are discovering people like me and you and classic people who have things to share. They're not famous yet. They may never be famous, but for the people who discover them and get the joy of listening to what they have to say on a regular basis, their lives are greatly improved from the experience. 
Yes, I get a lot of pleasure out of talking to um, our guests. We get a, I, I guess, kind of our uh, audience. So that's kind of how we look at it. You know, we we appreciate our guests, you know, and we also appreciate our audience. But, you know, the conversation with the guests is what equals up to pleasing our audience. So one of the things yeah, is for me, yes, yeah, to learn from people like you and to have that genuine conversation. I agree with you. One of the, one of the other real perks of having a podcast is I don't have to have any fear when I reach out to anybody that I have, a um, that I have a desire to, to learn from or to have on my podcast. And occasionally somebody will say no or not yet, but they always do it pleasantly. And more often than not, people say yes, and the really cool thing is, like you say, you sit down, you have a conversation. And I've said this to many people who are aspiring to start a podcast when they ask me some of the things that go into a successful show. I tell them, look, one of the most important things to remember, if you sit down and press record and you don't learn at least one new thing from your guests, or if you don't relearn at least one new thing from your guests, you're doing it wrong. Mm. Well, I learn okay. often, so I definitely yeah. feel like we're doing it right. We must be doing it right. Yeah, but you, yeah, but you know what I mean. There are way too many people who are doing podcasts or doing podcast interviews, and their sole focus is to represent their brand and sell their stuff, and they'll do it regardless of the opportunity to have conversations and make real relationships. Yeah, a lot of it is for entertainment as well, and they kind of talk about the latest news or some of the things that's going on versus talking – genuinely with the you know about the guests that they have on the show um so that's one of the things that i enjoy of course we're not up to date with everybody or with you know what's going on out there with the celebrity game and all of that thing but you know we're definitely looking to get to educate ourselves and to for me as a musician i my focus is to definitely you know have more non-music conversations over time <laughs> as I've had a lot of most of my conversations have probably been music based over the past years with musicians so this is I, we also still talk with musicians as well but this is definitely a platform to help us talk with everybody right well when I talk with musicians I find that the difficult that musicians are a little bit like politicians you have to be a little persistent if you want to get them to answer the, uh, the, the questions you want them to answer or if you wanted to get them to go to subjects that they haven't gone as in-depth before because a lot of musicians get into a habit of answering the same questions with the same answers and it's mm -hmm. really difficult to put them off track and, and get them to get more personal and get them to share information that will really help your audience. Or at least that's been my experience with the musicians I've interviewed. Yeah, I think that's because they have to keep a persona and they're scared of i guess <laughs> um and i guess it's an image yeah the image things, thing yeah. And so it feels a protective put up a this protective boundary so you can't i guess maybe see past my personal life and you know match it up with my music life brand whatever that is and you know with my image it with whatever whatever it is for the record labels it's just so many I think so many people they're trying to please are so many things outside of themselves that they have to kind of keep up. And some of them may not really know themselves enough to really give you another answer because the, it's become so copycat. The industry now has become so copycat to where each, you know, a lot of artists have, have, you know, created their brand behind or, you know, based on somebody else's character. So, that's all they have is a generic yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate what you're saying, especially about, you know, they feel like they have to, to be, be focused on protecting their brand. I run into that a lot when I talk to business people about doing podcast interviews and sharing their stories. But here's the thing I've learned and I've been doing podcast interviews for nine since 2013. I've been teaching people about podcast interviews for six years now. And the thing that I've learned is the people that are willing to step a little bit outside of their brand and be honest with people, all they do is create a better bond with the people that care about them. 
their fans, their followers. Their, I mean, I've even seen people who have, uh, for the most part, the people I have, have, have encouraged, even if I didn't specifically coach them, have found they received more business from more of their ideal clients by allowing some of that personal stuff out where people could see it than they did when they were keeping everything buttoned up. Mm. Yeah. I think people nowadays do want to get to know the person behind the company because they, that gets them to invest in it a little bit more just because there's a real human being with goals and missions behind it. Right. Which is why I always tell people, no one buys your company. No one buys your product or your service. No one buys your book, your film, or your album. They buy your story. So be sure you understand what your story is and get really good at telling it. Yeah. Well, before we get ready to close it out, um, was there any questions you'd like to ask us or anything you'd like for our audience to know about any projects that you have coming up? I can't really think of any questions for y'all, and that disappoints me because I usually have at least one or two. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious about how long y'all have been uh, working on your podcast as co-hosts because y'all seem to, to uh, do really well at passing the conversation back and forth without, uh, without really seeming to, to have to work at it. Well, <laughs> we're a happily married couple. Uh, we've been together over about 10 years and, you know, we talk all the time. We're kind of, we're our best friends. So. And we've worked on a lot of hustles and businesses together. Um, so we've built, you know, through practice and uh, with the podcast, we've been doing it for, this is season two. Um, there was a year gap between first season and second season. Um, because uh, we had some damage to the studio uh, and some of the equipment. So we um, took some time off, and then we just started season two uh, in December. So it's been two months now. Yeah, two months. Well, a year and two months, because y'all did season one before that, and (laughs) I'm assuming y'all were together then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, we, we there was only two months uh, for season one. Yeah. So and that was 17 episodes, and that was kind of our practice season, get you know get our feet wet a little bit to see how things were. And then by the time we finished taking the break and came back to, uh, it's just a, it's a, a different energy, but it things are, are flowing really well. And we also do, we create uh, content together, our YouTube channel, we you know, record our travels and our adventures and put them in a video. And we do the T-shirt um, uh, stuff together. So, like, we do so many things together that, you know, that gives our partnership and uh, the ability to grow over time. And we always, right. we, we witness each other, you know, kind of evolve and learn some things. So uh, we know communication is one of the most important things in relationships and marriage. So that's something that we work on often and we, you know, we're pretty good at it, but we still continue to work on it. And we've lo- learned from our, um, our previous guests, I guess it was Brandon, if I'm cor- mm-hmm. uh, correct, that gave us some tips on speaking and even trying some new things. So it's, it's, you know, she also wasn't a speaker. Like, well, she she wasn't really just, you know, vocal. Yeah, I was more she of was an quiet. introvert. And, yeah. you know, talking in front of the camera scares me. But this once is I a, started yeah. doing YouTube, I got more comfortable. But this was testing my, the podcasting really tested, like, my fear with speaking in a camera and messing up and things like that. And I do mess up on a podcast and now I just get over it and keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of my most read blog posts and one of my most watched videos were both really big screw ups Uh, (laughs) on the blog post. I was working on two posts at the same, at the same time that week. And I, 
I transposed a photo of an amusement park train engine with the photo of, of me that was going to go on the first post on the home, on the blog. And the blog was titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration. Now, y'all aren't old enough to remember the book, The Little Engine That Could, but it the phrase in the end of that book is, I think I, I think can, I, I think I, think I can. I can. So, yeah. so a lot of people saw that train picture and they're like, man, Max, what a, you know, some people saw it and they're like, Max, you screwed up. You need to fix this. But a lot of them said, Max, you know, what a wonderful metaphor. We, we're glad you reminded us of those old memories from our childhood or from reading to our kids or grandkids. So that was a mistake that's still out there. And then the other one, the first time I ever recorded a video as the blind blogger, because I had recorded some videos for the Midway, uh, I have retinitis pigmentosa. I have very little peripheral vision. I have some light perception, but it, the only way I can know if a light is on or off is I have to look directly at the light fixture when I press the switch or pull the string. So I didn't check my lighting that day and I recorded that, that video in, in with no light. And about a third of the people said, man, Max, it's really dark. You're sitting in a cave. You need to re-record this because this looks bad. And the other couple, the other two thirds of the people said, Max, what a wonderful metaphor. The blind guy's going to lead us out of the darkness. <laughs> so both of you know, I, I talked earlier about letting people, letting people fall in love with you, letting them see the good in your content. And that's what's happened many times. I call them their, I call them my, um, uh, my happy mistakes because they, they were things I did wrong that turned out better than some of the stuff I thought I did. Right. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've had great podcast interviews that drew no downloads, like my 15 minute interview of John Lee Dumas, which, um, that you know that was kind of a he, he got mad at me and as part of our as part of my apologizing to him he came on my podcast that's the short version but i mean it's a short it's a short conversation and people know me for longer conversations so i think that's why nobody has not too many people have listened to it even though it was a a great interview about all the adversity he's overcome so that's one of the things that that people have to learn is the mistakes for for the for most people, the mistakes only make you more lovable, at least as a podcaster. Yeah. You know, and then you know, you asked me what I'm up to and what things I'm what things I could use some help with. Uh, the What's Your Excuse podcast network can be found at wyexcuse.com, and the, all my other work can be found at theblindblogger.net. Uh, we are looking for more people who want to start podcasts or who want to help us promote the existing shows. Um, we're looking to work with people who have overcome adversity or who have a disability. And I include uh, mental illness and intellectual disabilities along with the physical, more obvious disabil disabilities. Uh, and just since I'm kind of known as the guy who likes to say, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. Um, we're looking for somebody who will uh, help with the creation of artwork for future merchandise or somebody who can help submit the existing artwork to merchandise print on demand sites. And we're looking for a video or an audio editor who is willing to work with me and the other hosts on, on the network. Uh, so those are a couple of things that we're looking for. My goal, original goal when I pitched the Holman Prize people for their grant money last year was to have 10 new shows up on the network by the end of what they call the Holman year, which would be Labor Day of this year. So I still have what, um, August, July, June, May, April, March, I still have six months to launch eight more shows. And I think that's possible. Yes. Um, you know, down the road, we're going to create a conference, we're going to create a, a, some What's Your Excuse books. And so eventually, we'll need some editors, we'll need some proofreaders, we'll need a lot of other people to you know allow the network and the crazy thing about this is when i started this it was just a friend of mine said max you would be good at it i told him he was out of his darn mind we talked about it i decided to do it anyway there are still so many things i don't know how to do that i don't know what's going to happen next that i personally don't have the skills or the budget to pay somebody who has most of the time but just have a feeling that this could be something really, really special that will not only help the people with disabilities to draw attention to their work and become sustainable financially, but will change the lives of the able-bodied people 
who enjoy and follow and listen to their podcast. So. Good luck with all of that. And actually, I did want to, when I was going through your site, you talked about um, as an entrepreneur, a business owner, one of the things you have to learn is how to ask. And if you're not good at it, uh, then, you know, somebody like you could help with that. Can you speak to that a little bit and what, how you help um, people? Right, right. Well, I can do that one of two ways. One is I can show people how easy it is to ask. I can help them remove the blocks that keep them from asking, especially where it comes to a lot of people are afraid of how it's going to look when they ask them. If they're thinking of asking for help, they feel like it's going to make them look weak and inept. If they're thinking of asking for opportunities, they're worried it's going to make them look egotistical. And the truth is, for the most part, when you don't ask somebody, is when you're making their lives harder because the odds are you either have something that will benefit them or you wouldn't be asking them in the first place on the opportunity side and on the aspect of asking for help there are so many people who the the most joyful thing they do in their day is to help somebody else that can do nothing for them but say thank you there are so many people out there who have spent their careers accumulating knowledge perfecting a skill, um, practicing, rehearsing, becoming really good at a craft. And they feel really good when somebody sincerely comes along and says, hey, I know that you are the expert, that you know everything about this. I am really struggling with this. I could really use your help. Would you please help me? And more often than not, those requests are met with positive responses. Because like I say, you're making them feel good. You're making their day better by admitting that you could use some help and asking somebody who has the knowledge and the experience. So that's one aspect of it as far as helping them get past the, the fears that keep them from asking. Because, you know, like I say, as a business person, there are lots of people that are doing great work every day. They're making good money. But if you told them they had to write an email to Classic and Gypsy to ask to be on their podcast, they would say, uh-uh, I can't do that. So, you know, when in the fact, you know, Gypsy and Classic, they need uh, guests that are ideal for their podcast in order for their podcast to keep going. So, you know, having more people ask really just solves a problem that they have and will have as long as they have a podcast. You know, that's the way you have to start thinking about these things is, yeah, I'm going to be asking for their help or asking for their opportunity, but is it, is it possible that they need me to ask or would benefit from me asking just as much as I would? And more, more often than not, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been told no, because I would have to think about it. It's less than, it's less than how many fingers I got on both hands. More often than not, people want to help or people want to participate in your journey. They want to see other people succeed. Yeah, there are some people that are, you know, that have a lack mentality who are like, yeah, if you win, I lose kind of people, but they're very far and few few between. So uh, if you can release the fear and put the focus on the other person, asking for what you want and you need so that you can move forward uh, is, is the way to get there. As I like to say, if you can embrace interdependence instead of independence, you can accomplish your goals more quickly with less strain and more joy. So that's the part about teaching people. And then if, if somebody is just not capable of doing it, then, okay, what is it that you need? Who do we need to get it from? And then help them craft the ask, uh, track down the opportunities, and if necessary, send the pitch emails or, or make the phone calls for them. And that's, one of those things, um, you know, when I started as the blind blogger, I felt like I would probably be a goal, life goals coach because I've, I've accomplished many things and overcome a lot of obstacles, but nobody wanted to hire me to be their coach. They did want to hire me to ask people for stuff for them, to promote them, to get them opportunities to go on podcasts and radio shows. They wanted the former Carney you know, the former equipment broker, they wanted the guy who's a, who's a promoter who thinks nothing of being told no, 
that's the guy they wanted to hire. So that's, you know, where a lot of the work I do nowadays comes, comes in is teaching people how to ask, showing them their story and the power of their story, and then either doing the asking for them or assisting them, providing accountability while they do the outreach. Uh, I just want to share this part with, with people because a lot of people think that Max has always known what Max is going to do next and that Max, uh, you know, was sure that he was going to be an author and a speaker and these other things when he finally started with the blind blogger. But here's the thing. I have a really good friend. Her name is Adrian Smith, and I refer to her as my blogging mama. She used to be known as the blog commenting rock star, and she took me under her wing. She taught me everything I know about, uh, about marketing through commenting, online relationship building, relationship marketing. Uh, she really helped me make so much progress with the Midway Marketplace before I started the blindblogger.net. And, uh, but the thing is, is that for two years, I kept telling her, hey, I'm nobody special. I'm just a guy who shows up every day and works his butt off to try to build a business. And she finally convinced me. She said, Max, here's the thing. A lot of people don't have a physical disability. They don't have an obvious excuse that keeps them from going after their goals. But they sleepwalk through their days. They fail to take action on things that they know they should be doing something about. And they don't uh, do anything but continue to go through the motions. She said, for those people who don't have an excuse, when they look at somebody like you, who has a built-in excuse, who can sit at home and watch TV or listen to the TV and eat junk food and nobody would say word one about it, but you decide to show up. She said, that's your story. That's why you're compelling. That's why you have to put yourself out there more and help others uh, take steps in their own lives. So I didn't, it took me a long time to realize what my story was to understand the power, you know, the way I have of, of influencing other people, of challenging their excuses, inspiring them to take action. You know, those things are things I couldn't see on my own. And that's one of the things that I try to do for other people nowadays, is to help them see what their story is, to understand its power and help them tell it more so that they can get what they want. Well, Max, you have inspired me. Um, I'm truly grateful just to, be here and have this conversation with you and to even just to, you know, just to get a piece of your experience. Um, well, I appreciate yes. that. That's, uh, that's very uh, generous of you. Uh, it's encouraging to me. And really, you know, knowing that y'all are doing this podcast as a couple, um, because I, I've run across requests all the time of hosts that are looking for people to come on and talk about how you successfully run a business as a couple. So knowing how much stress there can be in doing anything creative or entrepreneurial as a couple, that's that speaks a lot to, to y'all's character and y'all's personality. Thank you. We Thank appreciate you. it. That's kind of one of the things that I um, like to inspire in couples or even just people that are not in single people and, you know, trying to visualize a relationship they've taught a lot of relationships to you have your career. I have my career and we come together whenever a lot of times, you know, like I said, I feel the magic of a relationship is if two people can take two different careers and then blend their life together and also blend their career together. And they spend, you know, that time building what they have together. That's more of a, a better relationship than you both work your own job until retirement and then, you know, you go from there. It's better to yeah. be. I feel and sadly, like in many yeah, and sadly, in many cases, people find out in retirement they're no longer the same people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's throughout, even <laughs> throughout the relationship as well. You have to, you, we're not the same people who we were when we lived in um, DC, Maryland, Virginia, in the DMV. You know, even just from, we met in Atlanta, we're not the same people there but we have allowed each other to, you know, mold and to become and to grow. And now we're looking to both work side by side, even though, you know, she's the techie one. So <laughs> we, we both have our strengths and, you know, that's yeah. kind of what allow us to be good host or to kind of 
be genuine host and also know the technical side because she knows more of the technical conversation than I do, but I'm still learning and still being engaged in the conversation as well. So it goes both ways. Also, like it combines all our skills together because as a musician, you're used to public speaking and just being more outgoing. And then um, there's the, you know, we know how to, we're, done photography and content creation so that allows us to be able to even market uh, our podcast because we have to market the music and other things we've worked on before so it kind of it's a two all of it the podcast kind of combines everything yeah it's a two-person you know team that's a good way that's a good way to look at it not only combines all your skills but it combines all your all your passions and it combines everything that each of you is individually Yes. We'd like to thank all of our listeners who have been listening and supporting and tuning in, um, watching us grow. Uh, It's it's just been quite the adventure and um, learning experience. And you can find us at AmericanGypsy.com. We have a blog for each episode. You can find the audio and video as well as links to our merch at luamli stored um, at luamli.com as well as uh, we have a patreon um, with different tier memberships for exclusive content um, uh, access to 20% off or 15% off depending on your tier to our store as well as different um, crystals that we hand make Um, so yeah you can go ahead and check that out at americangypsy.com and also check out classics music at uh under classic k-l-a-c-c-i-k c-a-r-p-e-n-t-a that's classic carpenter under all major platforms spotify itunes title uh, youtube um etc um some you know instrumental music a couple of vocals some nice relaxing things like that we also have a soundtrack for our podcast. It's just some instrumentals, which we take the instrumentals and we use them along with our um, YouTube yeah. videos. So, you know, if you like some, check out some melodies and some other stuff that we do outside of the podcast stuff, definitely check out our YouTube channel. Um, thank you f- again to everybody for listening. Um, consistent self-improvement to everyone. And we will see you. Peace.